Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 164, and we are recording on October 27th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams. And today we are talking about more new-ish, quote unquote, I'm cheating real hard, (laughs) y'all, this episode. Newish books that we love. Before we get into the news and my cheating, a reminder (laughs) that... It is already time to start sending in your holiday gifting questions. Where did October go, Sharifa? Where? I have no clue, but it's gone. It's gone. So, yeah, our next show, our next show after this one will be the holiday gifting episode. Bananas. So, please send in your, if you you have any gifting questions for you, somebody else, what to read during the holidays, like, whatever, fair game. Um... Get those in by the 9th or 10th of November, and we will, yeah, 9th, the 9th of November. I'll put it in the show notes, and we'll do our best to answer them. We'll also be doing, depending on how much time we have, our picks for the best gifting for this season. So you can look forward to that. Always fun. It's so fun. It's so fun. And stressful, kind of, because I have to pick the perfect (laughs) books. (laughs) It's hard enough to, like find gifts for people we know really yes, well but yes, then like sort is, of plucking them out of thin air swiss army it's a challenge but one i enjoy personally yeah me too all right speaking of gifting reminder that tailored book recommendations now has a paperback level what what we i'm gonna tell you we worked really hard on making this happen like i personally helped w- make this yeah. happen and it was a lot of work so we're really proud and excited And this is for you or a person, a reader you love, if you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers or maybe you're on a budget but still want physical books or you want a wider range of recommendations since there's a lot more paperbacks in the world than there are hardcovers or all of the above. So you can now get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. You can gift it. You can get all the details at mytbr.co. Again, mytbr.co. We appreciate all you did to make the paperback subscription. (laughs) I was pretty excited to work on it, honestly, because it's something we wanted to do for a long time, and it was nice to finally get to make it happen. So, yep. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. All right. Let us do a sponsor break, and then we will talk about the news. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be. Right? Right, girl. Like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series, Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle. Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kaine pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk, Ride, Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Okay. I can't decide, Sharifa, should we do awards corner first or last? Like, how do you want to? That is a tough call. Let's Let's just do it first. All right, let's do it first. All right. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to do the two quick ones and then the big one. That's that's the order we'll do this in. Okay, great. So my first quick awards announcement is that the 2023 Ursula K. Le Guin Prize for Fiction has been announced. And to my extreme delight, it is an author I haven't read, a book I didn't know about, and a a new press for me to follow. So, like, the best of all world. This is my favorite thing. This is what awards should do for me personally. And so Rebecca Campbell is the winner. She's the author of Arboreality, which, like, it's got trees in the title, so I'm already sold. And the press is Stelliform Press, which I never heard of, and I'm super excited to discover. And yeah, this is, it was a really great judging panel I know we talked about before, and the selection panel's blurb about this book, which is about the effects of climate change on a specific part of British Columbia, just really sells it. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. We're trying to make this quick, so I will not read it to you. But like, go to the show notes. Go check out the announcement. This book sounds great. I already put in a hold from the library. <laughs> Linked stories are like, beco- I mean, not yeah. becoming a thing, but they are like everywhere suddenly. I'm and here this for is it. a collection of linked stories. And yeah, same. Like, I, I read a couple... I don't know whether it was this year or last year because my brain isn't working right now, but I've read a couple very recently and I was like, I really like linked stories. And of course, they were all dealing with stuff that's happening to the planet and Mm. timely issues, which this book is all about. So I'm also excited to read this one and be introduced to this author. Yeah. I was really glad my library had it. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to I know, like, I'm surprised. special request this, but they have one copy. Um, so I put in my hold and <laughs> now I'm just waiting for it to be my turn. But I, they did have it. So that was pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. Right, check. Yeah, I got to check it out. Uh, and then the other quick one is that the Books Are My Bag Reader Awards shortlist has been announced. This is a program from um, National Book Tokens. 
And the awards aim is to reflect the truly diverse tastes of real book lovers and the bookshops they love to visit, which I'm like, yes, sure, let's do that. Cool. Like, that sounds good to me. <laughs> and so it is not a genre award specifically, but there are a bunch of genre authors and titles on the shortlist, including Yellow Face by Rebecca F. Kwong, Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. Let's see. Who else is on here? Oh, Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya is on here. So it's a nice short list. I'm linking to it again. It's on Locus and you can check it out. And yeah, love love to see awards that specifically are focused on diversifying the list, which is relevant to our next discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Hugo Awards. Oh, Sharifa, do you want to start us off on this one? Yes, I will. There is so much to talk about um, with the 2023 Hugo Awards. And I know we've talked about like the finalist list. The actual winners were announced on October 21st. And I mean, there are two parts to this mm -hmm. whole thing. There's the actual winners list and we've got some familiar authors here as, as usual with like best novel is Nettle and Bone by T. Kingfisher whose books I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Sean and McGuire won for best novella with Where the Drowned Girls Go. And then we've got Novelette, the space-time painter. I do not know Haya, um, who is the author of that one, but the list goes on, and I mean, both of us have talked about some of the authors mm -hmm. on the list. It's just that <laughs> there has been so much going on with the decision to, one, host this round of the Hugo Awards in Chengdu, China. Mm -hmm. We talked about... One of the authors taking Alex Harrow, I believe it was, taking the nomination off the list mm -hmm. because of the human rights violations that are happening over there. I've talked about the Uyghur concentration camps that are a real issue. And that was actually a problem. I can link to another story that I didn't put in the show notes about Leo Sishin, who is one oh, yeah. of, yeah, one of the special guests for this Worldcon convention. And he has said some problematic things about the Uyghur concentration camps. And also another one of the guests of honor is somebody who has spoken in support of Russia and its war against Ukraine. So yeah. that's like tip of the iceberg stuff. There's been petitions. I actually have found a link to a blog that talks about and links out to the sources for a lot of the stuff that's been happening around the Hugos, including an open letter that was written to the WorldCon committee and signed by a whole bunch of authors in SFF talking about why they object to the location of the conference and 
all of the other problematic stuff that's happening there. So it's complicated because I'm like, you know, you want to congratulate the winners and everybody who made the list, but it's also really unfortunate to see the decisions that were made around this one. And it's so it's kind of convoluted in a way, Mm -hmm. the way the Hugos are Worldcon happens and the nominating the city that actually holds Worldcon happens and how separate those things are from the HugoAwards.org. So it's confusing (laughs) and difficult to pin down like, well, where does the responsibility Mm -hmm. lie here to make some informed and ethical decisions about how these awards play out? Yeah. So that's my very, like, long-winded, ranty sort of explanation. <laughs> Do you have stuff to add? Yeah, all of that. Just all of that. It's complicated. Yeah. It's convoluted. It's difficult. But there's also been a lot of discussions that I've seen on Blue Sky in particular, where there's a pretty strong mm. SFF uh, corner. And... The what I was scrolling through it this morning because I was like, I know there's more to this than that, but I haven't been able to find somebody who has like written up the whole like here's a here's everything that is being talked about in regards to the Hugos because there are more there's a lot of things people are talking about how like the Hugo Awards are broken and I was like okay what is mm. the specifics has anybody done a like comprehensive sort of list of the conversations and I if you've seen one please send it in via email yeah sff yeah at bookriot.com because I would love to read it. But as I was poking around trying to find that, I saw a bunch of other conversations. And I was doing all of this right before the show, so I'm not going to call out any specific people because I don't want to send any drama their way. Um, but if you search for Hugos on Blue Sky, you will see the conversations. But there was a there was an interesting conversation. I had never thought about this before. And I think it was really thought-provoking to me around repeat winners, which, you know, Oh. It ha- happens all the time. There's memorably certain people have won five times in a single category. And I have celebrated repeat winners in the past, but and then also been like, mm. um, and Martha Wells memorably took herself off of an award list because she was like, Murderbot has won enough award- awards. Like, thank you so much. I'm so <laughs> glad you love it. We don't right. need any more, right? So some authors have taken the initiative to remove themselves from lists and decline awards in that regard. But I had not realized this is like literally an eligibility thing. Like, it shouldn't be on the authors to take themselves out of the running because of whether perceived or felt discomfort around repeat wins. And also, like, I can totally understand why you would want to repeat when it's very validating. But somebody pointed out, and I confirmed this, I have a link in the show notes, the Ignite Awards, which are run by Fiacon and Fire Lit Mag, have a very specific eligibility requirement in that you cannot be, if you won the previous year, you can't win, you can't be nominated in that category. You can be nominated in another category, but you cannot be nominated in that court category again just for that mm. year. So it's not even saying like you can't win multiple times. You just can't have back to back wins, which I think is great, actually. Like, I think that's a really smart and genius approach on their side for like allowing that authors may be good enough to be nominated will be good enough to be nominated and win multiple years and work in different categories 
And this just opens the door a little bit for both of those things to happen, for new people to be able to be nominated and recognized, and for authors who have a history and continuing ongoing um, excellence to be rewarded for that. And that is on the Hugos themselves to make updates to the nomination process, which they've done in the past. It was much needed. Updates were made after the whole like sad puppies, rabid puppies situation. And so uh, this might be another good moment to like think about some eligibility requirements and some updates to how the Hugos work as an award system. So just putting that out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad that discussion happened because I know I have done the same. I've seen repeat winners and, you know, you sometimes you're like, wow, that's like a huge, that's a huge deal for that author and how amazing Mm -hmm. and how deserved. And then sometimes it's just like, yeah, you end up just seeing everybody reading the same authors because of course these awards are influential. Yeah. And it doesn't leave a lot of additional space to celebrate newer writers and writers who just don't have the same platform. Yeah. So I'd love to see it as well. All right. So that's that's the Hugos in a (laughs) nutshell-ish. What do you you want to talk about next, Sharifa? (laughs) I have a lovely story, and it's a quick one, too. And... This is kind of different than some of the news stories I usually talk about because it involves a children's book. Mm. But Where the Wild Things Are is about to celebrate an anniversary. I believe it's, I think I was really surprised. It's 60. Yeah. Yeah. What? That is wild, first of all. So this is reported on the story is from... AP News, and I cannot actually see the name of the person who is reporting on it, but Michelle Obama is going to narrate the audio edition of Where the Wild Things Are for its 60th anniversary. And I just found this so delightful. The audio download is actually going to be out by the time this episode is out. So it comes out October 31st. And I was just enjoying this because I listened to the audiobook of Becoming by Michelle Obama. Mm. And I found her voice so soothing <laughs> and comforting that I was like, this is so perfect. Like, Where the Wild Things Are is this really classic children's book. And I really do kind of, you know, attribute a lot of my love for fantasy, especially to the children's books I read growing up. Mm. And just like, how they indulge children's imaginations and encourage and inspire imagination. And Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak is definitely among those books that just go to that place and are very unapologetic about just being like, let's just imagine the wildest things happening and celebrate that. Yes. 
So I was really excited to see this. Two of some of my favorite things coming together. So I just want to let everybody know in case you just needed a soothing listen. Mm. <laughs> there is Where the Wild Things Are, narrated by Michelle Obama. Do you remember? Did you have a Teddy Ruxpin? I think I conflated really wanting a Teddy Ruxpin <laughs> with having a Teddy Rux. I don't think my parents went and bought that no, for me. I got one from a like a like a street fair garage sale situation. I I managed to get my hands on a hand me down. Lucky. Oh, so lucky. It was like the <laughs> best day of my young life. I for those of you who are too young for this reference, Teddy Ruxpin was like a bear that had a tape player, like a cassette tape player in his stomach and came with like these story tapes and you could play it's functionally audiobooks, but they were like four children, shorter stories, and you could play like the Teddy Ruxpin. His like mouth would move as the tape played. Like it was a very kind of silly, but kind of amazing in retrospect. I had not thought about Teddy Ruxpin so in cool probably like then. thirty years. Um, yeah, but like I loved Teddy Ruxpin, and I was just as you were talking about like remembering being a kid and hearing these stories. I was just thinking about, like, how amazing it would be to have, like, Teddy Ruxpin reading you where the wild things are in Michelle Obama's voice. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be incredible? That would be amazing. So now I need to find a Teddy Ruxpin and, like, reverse engineer it so that it plays audiobooks from MP3s, which I'm pretty sure, like, streaming, which I feel, like, confident I could probably make happen in some like i'll just tape a nano to its back or something <laughs> i know there's gonna be a, there's gonna be a i mean there's a that. youtube video there's a youtube sure somebody has done this. this already and i will yeah. find them and steal their plans but anyway this is just where that sent me because yeah like where the wild things are is a perfect example of like encouraging the power of imagination and just like going on these journeys to where things are different and coming back to tell their story, which is science fiction and fantasy, like in a nutshell. And so I, too, love this. I love it. And now I'm yeah. going to work on my Teddy Ruxpin project. I would love to see that. That would be the most amazing thing. I will document it and share. <laughs> um, all right. So our last story. We've gone so off the rails today, but I'm not going to apologize. This has been a hard week. Uh, and it has. this conversation is giving me life. So, uh, is, yeah, we're going to indulge. Our last article here is one I found a little while ago and just have been waiting for an opportunity to talk about it. So this is from back in September. Publishers Weekly staff put together a piece on it's called Why It Matters That Marvel Comics Are Becoming Penguin Classics. And we talk about comics and the overlap with SFF pretty regularly. And this story talks about graphic novels and books. And it talks to Jerry Craft, who is an amazing Black writer of, I think, largely children's books are the ones that mm -hmm. I've read of him, children's graphic novels. And then Rainbow Rowell, who y'all know. And then Ben Saunders, who's the series editor for this Classics Marvel collection. So I encourage you to click through. But basically what's happening is that the publisher has a Penguin Classics Marvel Collection series. 
And it's a curated series. They're doing like classic editions of Marvel series like The Avengers, Fantastic Four, X-Men, which was a big deal for me as a kid. And comics were, for a long time, a niche market, very, like, sort of derided in popular culture. They were for kids or for the nerd guy and The Simpsons, but have had a renaissance and are still sort of derided in different ways now as, like, lowest common denominator pop culture. I've seen pieces about that, about, like, the Marvel movies are ruining film and cinema or whatever. People love to get mad about comics. But they're important in so many ways. And so I do agree with this article's premise, which is that it's a big deal for them to be called classics by a publisher and to get editions that say classics on them. Like, that's a big deal. And they look like the other Penguin. Like, they didn't do a rebrand of the Penguin Classics art. Like, it's like it follows the art design of the other ones. So it's I just think it's great. And this is the kind of development I love to see and wanted to talk about. Yeah, I think this is fantastic, too. I mean, people can gripe and criticize, but there is no doubt that comics have influenced our culture Mm -hmm. in pretty significant ways. So, I mean, it makes sense to me that they belong in the realm of classics. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to see them get championed in this way. Yeah. So, And hopefully we get some good inclusivity in there along the way. (laughs) Yes. There's always more to be done. This is a good step. And then we've got some more steps to follow. So. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a good one. All right. Well, that's our news. So uh, (laughs) thanks for coming on this journey with us. We'll take another sponsor break and then we'll talk about books. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. 
But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. All right, Sharifa. Get us back All on right. track. <laughs> I'll get us on track. And I want to talk about a book that you have read that I finally caught up on, The Mimicking of Known Successes by Malka Older. I was so glad to be reminded to read this. And sometimes, I feel like I've talked about this before, like once I know you have read a book, <laughs> I will sometimes be like, Okay, that's going to go on the bottom of my list now because I don't want to, like, talk about the same books over and over on this podcast. And a lot of the reading I do is for this podcast. But I was like, I got an email about the next book Mm -hmm. in the series, The Imposition of Unnecessary Obstacles, which is coming out next February. And I was like, you know what? This feels like the right thing for this moment reading this book, having heard about it and what it offers, I'm just going to go ahead and enjoy myself. And enjoy myself, I did. So this is a like set on a gas lamp, Jupiter. So we're on a different planet. And it's about investigator Maza who sets out to solve this truly baffling disappearance of a man. And her investigation ends up taking her to the colony where her ex, Platy, is a scholar. And Masa finds reason to re- request Platy's help navigating this case. So it's a detective story, which I love. And it was described as like a sort of Holmesian story. And I was for a while obsessed with the Sherlock Holmes stories. So... It fell right in my wheelhouse, and I definitely got that Holmesian comp from this with Masa as the sort of enigmatic and insightful detective and Platy as the more academic feeling and differently insightful amateur detective assisting on this case. And I just thought the two of them were like Holmes and Watson were really great foils for each other because of their differences. So there was that wonderful pairing. And I also loved how their relationship shifted over the course of the story. There was not a lot of angst or animosity. Like Mm -hmm. the story on the whole was gentle and even soothing, (laughs) even though the stakes did turn out to be high. But I, yeah, I, I really wanted to read it because I knew that it would give me something a little bit more cozy and a little bit more romantic, which feels right for fall. And I really enjoyed that part of it the setting was romantic and cozy in that antiquated but also sort of futuristic way of course because this is taking place after some things have happened with the earth and this is why they are on a different planet and 
I was also just like in wonder because Older is obviously really talented at taking on all types of stories. This felt so different Mm -hmm. from Infomocracy and the Sentinel Cycle. Like, and I loved it. Like, the writing is just as great and it's just as great in a different way. So I really hope that this becomes a big series of adventures featuring Masa and Platy in the same sort of vein as the Sherlock Holmes stories. And I can handle this kind of series where the books are like bite-sized mm-hmm. and easy to settle into and really kind of comforting. So yeah, I loved it. I'm glad I read it. That was The Mimicking of Known Successes by Malka Older. Yay! I'm so glad you liked it. I know. I'm really excited for that sequel. And it it does come out in February. And another book, a sequel I'm super excited about, also comes out in February. And that's Moon of the Turning Leaves by Wub Geishik Rice. Mm-hmm. It's the sequel to Moon of the Crested Snow. And I February is my birthday month, so I'm going to have an amazing birthday month reading-wise. Like, it's oh, going to wow. be oh. so good. So. That's amazing. I did not realize that the sequel to Moon of the Crusted Snow was coming yeah, out. Yeah, it's actually already out in Canada. It came out in Ugh, Canada. Canada. I know, Canada. You have to get it from Canada if you want it now. But it's coming out in the U.S. in February. So... Super jazzed about that. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to me. That's right. (laughs) Right. So let's see. My science fiction pick is new. This is not my cheater. (laughs) Cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. This is this was one of those instances where I pre-ordered a book and then forgot about it. Like I pre-ordered it. I forgot. And then it like I got this email that's like, your book is here. And I was like, my book is here? I, for- I forgot. And it's such a, like, gift from past it's me. I, hi- I cannot recommend pre-ordering strongly enough, y'all. Like, it's so delightful. It just comes out of nowhere. You have this book. Um, and so the book I had pre-ordered is A Fire Born of Exile by Aliette de Bedard, who I loved, have talked about before, we will talk about again. And this is part of the Shuya universe, which is, like, Basically, Vietnamese space opera is the shortest possible description of that. And the Tea Master and the Detective is one of the stories in this world that got a lot of play and I know I've talked about before. And so this is a new installment in that universe, which are all connected, but not sequential is how I'm going to say it. Like you can kind of dip in and out of the universe, but they do have some connective DNA aside from the setting even. And A Fire Aboard of Exile was pitched as, like, a sapphic Count of Monte Cristo in space, which, like, hello. Hello. Mm-hmm. I The Count of Monte Cristo is one of my all-time favorite books. I reread it regularly. Obviously, I love space. And I was like, oh, a sapphic romance in that book is fascinating. So I pre-ordered it, and now I'm reading it. I'm not actually not done yet, but I was like, I'm not going to wait to talk about this. Oh, like, yeah. I cannot wait. And it is... As expected, excellent. What I'm loving about it is actually also one of the downfalls of being very familiar with source material is that when I first picked it up, my brain was like trying to map, you know, the characters to other characters and like, okay, is this this person or that person? And then I was like, wait, 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 wait. Dibidart is remixing it. It is a true remix. And there are obviously you can see where the inspiration comes from because it is the story of somebody 
who was wrongly accused and exiled and has come back to wreak vengeance, which is the best plot. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so it has lots of that and some other very specific similarities. But once I was able to let go of trying to map it, I, it was so much better for my brain. The book is so good. It stands entirely on its own. Um, you don't have to know the Count of Monte Cristo to to enjoy it, and I think you might even you might ha- not have to turn off that part of your brain if you're me, right? If you haven't already read it, <laughs> so it's like lush world building. The characters are great. You're getting multiple POVs, which is so satisfying in these kind of revenge tales to see other perspectives on the person who is like on a mission and what other people are seeing of them and think about them as they're doing this thing. I'm just loving it. I will say the content warnings so far are emotional abuse and harm to children. And there's some violence. Inevitably, there's violence. So, again, that's A Fireborn of Exile by Aliette de Bedard. That sounds so good. Oh, it's so fun. I love The Count of Monte Cristo, too. Well, my next pick is a speculative one, and I believe this one came up on um, the most anticipated episode. I think it was one of your picks, actually. It was. And I know we've talked about it a little here and there. It's Africa Risen, A New Era of Speculative Fiction. This is a anthology edited by Cherie Renee Thomas. Uh Aganachawi, Donald Epeki, and Zelda Knight. And I definitely come to anthologies with a new respect mm-hmm. and respect <laughs> because we, the two of us, did Fit for the Gods. Mm-hmm. We edited that anthology and it is so much work. And so firstly, when I was like, 33 stories. So many. I almost passed out. I was like, that is a chunk of work. But all three of these editors are not new to this process. They have edited various speculative anthologies before. And so I was really excited to get into this anthology, especially because most of the authors are not familiar to me. They are completely new to me. And there was literally one author on the list, Tanana Reef Du, that I knew and had read before. So I was really excited to get to know these authors and read stories that were really focusing on Africa and Africans and talking about all sorts of aspects of speculative world building. So I definitely did not read this in order and I have not read all the stories yet, but I've read a good chunk of them and have enjoyed like going, basically choosing at random because I don't know what to expect Mm. and just like, doing a a wild card like what story what title sounds interesting to me today sort of thing but one of the things i'm noticing and i think that this is like a theme in a lot of speculative works right now climate change is a big central focus 
of a lot of the stories here. And I think anytime we consider the future these days and imagine what it might look like, I, it's hard not to imagine climate change being part of it. But there were some bleaker stories where that was a focus, and there were also some hopeful ones. So that was nice to see a mix there. Like one of the stories I read, The Blue House by Dilman Dilla, was about this android who's introduced to these haunting images of the past through this sort of resurrected operating system. And she's trying to piece the puzzle together, realizing that these clues are personal to her. And it's set against this really desolate, lifeless, and unforgiving landscape. And it's obvious that havoc has been wreaked on the planet and that people have had to make some decisions about what form they would take in the future because the world could not survive as it was. And then with Ghost Ship, of course, I had to read the Tanana Reeve Dew story. <laughs> and Ghost Ship was that story is definitely set in on an Earth where people have to try and bioengineer our way back to livability and sustainability. And also it gives us an unhappy future of the U.S. where segregation is the norm again and the story is about a woman from a usian used <laughs> i don't know how to pronounce it. woman who is was raised on this bioengineering farm in south africa and it is sort of tasked to bring this certain high value product to the u.s when disaster strikes but there are horrible things that have happened to people, including her family, as a result of uh, climate change and toxic chemicals. But then there's also this sort of hopeful story in there called Biscuit and Milk. It's by uh, Dare Segun Folowo, and it's about a crew of humans leaving the Earth that's recovering from disaster, and they board this sort of Noah's Ark-style ship called Biscuit. With I know biscuit best, biscuit and milk best spaceship name, and actually there's like there are food references throughout the short story which I absolutely love. I was just like, give me more of that. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about why this ship is called Biscuit. <laughs> but it was it was both cute and alarming because it's about a ship that has like this nursery of unborn children. They're on a mission to inhabit this hyper-oxygenated planet called Milk. And I thought that the world building was really interesting. And there is calamity in the story, but it is a hopeful story. So I was really glad to see a great mix of the types of stories in this anthology collection. Like, I think that's what strengthens an anthology is to just have a diversity of stories and perspectives. And this one definitely comes through with that. So, and also the cover is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. The cover illustration by Manzi Jackson and designed by Christine Foltzer is just like stunning. So I'm probably going to have this in a prominent space on my bookshelves. But yeah, definitely check out Africa Risen. Again, that's edited by Sheree Renee Thomas. 
Again, Achawi, Donald Apeki, and Zelda Knight. Amazing. That's so exciting. So good. Okay, here's my cheater cheater pick. I probably should be saving this for a backlist to the future, but here we are. I wanted to talk about it. I I know, right? I finally read The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison, which came out like almost 10 years ago at this point, and which people have been raving about since like six months before it came out and just constant, like I'm just constantly seeing references to it. And I had it on hold at the library and was just waiting for the ebook to come through. But I remember because so people had talked about how like it being kind of like cozy, like a cozy fantasy book. But then when I looked at the content warnings, I was like, how can this possibly be cozy? <laughs> like, I don't understand. And now that I've read it, I get it. It is like Becky Chambers' work or Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki. The characters do experience harm in Goblin Emperor Maya. The main character experiences child abuse, is part of a homophobic society. He is witness to a ritual suicide that's pretty graphic. But these things are held and supported and not done for grisly effect. They're done because people go through things and being able to hold space for that is something some authors can do gently. And Catherine Addison does that. And so, yeah, Maya, our main character, is the youngest son of an emperor who is the emperor's court is like elvish. And Maya's mother was a goblin princess who was married as part of a political expedient alliance to this elvish emperor. And so Maya is half goblin and half elvish. And um, oh, right. Bigotry also experienced by mm-hmm. this character and has lived in exile his entire life. His mother died when he was little. He was remanded into the custody of a very abusive and drunk court reject and wakes up at 18 one morning to find out that his father and all of his half siblings who were in line to the throne have died in an airship accident. And so now he is the emperor and is 100% unprepared for this to be true. And he's never been part of court. He knows no one. He knows nothing. And now he's emperor. So like, what are you going to do? And the book is about that. And Unlike a lot of other political fantasies, it is not a grimdark. Like, there are court shenanigans and there is an attempt on his life and things are not easy for Maya. But there, it's so hopeful. He finds allies and support and he makes mistakes and finds ways to recover from them. And it is such a, like, heartwarming book. And so I totally get it now. I get it. I'm glad I finally read it. I am here to I think it's a great winter read, actually, if you just need like a book to snuggle up with and you like books that deal with difficult topics, but also hold space for hope and heartwarming moments. This absolutely is a book that does that thing. And yeah, I I get it now. I was so curious about what you'd say about this book Mm -hmm. because I started reading it when I was on vacation Mm. and it just turned out that it was not the right. I I only got through a chapter. Mm. And at that point I was like, maybe this isn't the right book for like relaxing on the beach. But I did not know that it had been described as cozy Mm. and I would never have guessed that. So, and I forgot to pick it up after vacation. So now I'm like, maybe I need to like 
get back into it. Yeah, it's, you know, in the first chapter in particular is pretty rough because yeah. you're introduced to Maya and his world and it's not been a good one for him at this point. Sad. It's really sad. It's really sad. Yeah, the first chapter is hard. I would not recommend it for beach reading. No, <laughs> this is not a beach. Not I would not take no, it to the beach personally. Beach. I mean, maybe you would and that's fine. But like, that's not where I would read it. Like I said, you need like a blanket nest. You need something hot yeah. to drink. Like you need to feel safe and cozy and be prepared for hard things to happen. Yeah. But also to know that like ultimately this is a book about finding your people and like getting support and healing. So it is it, I yeah, I just I have been so confused about it for so many years <laughs> and now I get it and I'm happy to help like explain the Goblin Emperor, at least from my perspective, on on what it does well and why it is like a read you need to be careful of, depending on your place and mood and all that stuff. But also, yeah, I can see why a lot of people feel very comforted by it. Yeah, that was a worthy cheat. <laughs> thanks, thanks. All right, well, we should probably wrap this up. That's our show right. today. <laughs> So SFF Yes sound edited by Caitlin Brame. So many thanks to her, as always, for making us sound great each and every episode. For more book recommendations of all kinds, but definitely SFF, you can go to bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And yeah, thanks for listening. Email us. Maybe you've got holiday gifting questions. Maybe you've read a good piece on the Hugos. Maybe you just want to send us a picture of your pet, like whatever. The email address is sffyeah at bookriot.com. We also love it when people review us. You can do those reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. Wherever. It helps other people to find the show. And speaking of finding us, Sharifa, where are you? I'm on Instagram. You can find me at Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And you can find me on Blue Sky and Tumblr as Jen I-R-L, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. Or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time with our holiday picks. Bye.